Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Anyway, we have a new series going on called Easier Said, and we are in the book of James, and it has been awesome. I have loved it. I have loved learning about the book of James, and it is one of those books that is easier said than done. Yes, it is. Some of the examples that we used last week, I've added to my mess here, but parenting through a pandemic Easier said, marriage. Easier said, getting old. I'm not going into that again. Easier said, not watching your own image on a Zoom call. (laughs) Not eating raw cookie dough while the cookies are in the oven and your wife turned her back. Easier said. Acting like a Christian when somebody cuts you off. (laughs) Try not to judge your friends who put toilet paper on the wrong way in their homes. Yeah, this is a serious issue, friends. (laughs) The, The list could go on, right? We could all come up with so many things and so many reasons of things that are easier said than done. But when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to Having faith and trusting in him, that is when the rubber meets the road. Just have faith, just trust in God becomes a true work and it becomes a true test of our faith, not when things are good, but when things are challenging, when it becomes difficult, when we're now plowing, when we're grinding rough in hard ground, when when the situations and the storms that we are in are out of our control, this is when our trust and this is when our faith is and will be tested. I have a couple um, slides here. First of all, Galatians 6, 9. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which Paul became a minister. We are to continue. We are to be stable and steadfast in our faith. John 15, 4 through 5, abide in me, Jesus says. Abide, be. And I will be in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In these scriptures, we see that we are not to grow weary in doing good, that we are to continue in faith, that we are to be stable, that we are to be steadfast in serving Christ and not shifting away from the gospel that was proclaimed to us. We are to abide in the arms of Christ, to be 
with him. These are the directions that we have been given. His direction is our protection. Those here last week may remember that I I gave an illustration of of the word of God being like guardrails when bowling, right? The the bumpers, that that the, the word of God keeps us and is intended to keep us out of the gutter, but so many times, like Israel saying, Lord, give us a king. Lord, we want to be like the other nations. They just want to be in the gutter. And just like our kids and some of us grew up going, well, my friends are doing it. I want to do it. And and the word of God is saying, stay out, stay out. I've got this here for your protection. Now, it's deer hunting weekend. We got people out. I've already got some pictures of some deer that people have gotten from our congregation. And I thought I'll use an illustration based on hunting. All right. Now, for for those of you who maybe bow hunt, there, there is something called an arrow rest. Okay, and so anybody like ever have to do like shoot a bow for gym class or anything like that, and you had those really cheap bows, and the moment that you pulled it back, the arrow just kind of went whoop, and then you had to pull your finger over and you had to try and keep it, right? And then you move your bow to try and keep the arrow in place and everybody ducks because now you are a lethal weapon. It's an arrow rest. And some of you have this thing called a biscuit, and when you put the arrow in, it keeps it, relatively quiet, but it keeps your arrow in there. So when you pull the drawstring back, the arrow stays exactly where it needs to go. It guides it. I have one that it actually clips in, and then when you draw it back, the arrow raises up. It's super cool, but it's totally guided to go exactly where I aim. Now, the problem is my aim. That's a totally different analogy, okay? But some, there's people out right now, and they are shooting guns. They're sitting up in tree stands. Some of them have a scope, and some of them have open sights. And both of them can be beneficial, depending where you go. But no matter what, they each guide exactly where the bullet needs to go. If they do not have that, they are aimless. And what's really interesting is when it comes to some kind of projectile... If you're off just a little bit, something really close, you may be lucky enough to get it. But the further back it goes, the further your bullet, your arrow goes. And that's exactly what sin is. The literal description of sin in Scripture and in the Greek language is missing the mark. And that's what happens is when we think we have just, well, it's just a little bit of a sin, our heart becomes just a little bit off. And what happens is, is right away it doesn't look that bad, but the further that we go, the further separation that we have from Christ. This is why we need him. This is why we cannot depend on our own works and we cannot depend on our own guidance. We need the protection. We need the guidance of our Lord and our Savior. And this is what we see in the book of James. We see the book of James being guidance for believers. Guidance for the church. Guidance for you and guidance for me. His word is to keep us sighted in on Jesus and without these sights and without this guidance, we are aimless and we all end up somewhere. 
We all end up somewhere. Um, just a quick review on where we started last week, and I want to encourage you because I went through a lot more history of the book of James last week, and so I'm going to do a quick overview. Um, and so I encourage you to, to go and to watch it, to be on the same page, because it was a lot of fun to do the research and to just learn together. Uh, but first of all, James, um, the disciple of Jesus, he was killed. It says, by the, the sword of Herod, and we see that in, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. So it, the writer could not have been the disciple of Jesus, one of the 12. And then in John 7, we learn that Jesus' half-brother, so after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph married, had more children, and these would have been his half-brothers, that in John 7, 5, it says that they did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe that he was the Messiah for Israel and for mankind. There's no way. But then in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, we see that Jesus, when he was, after he was resurrected, he went and we know that he visited hundreds of people. And one of those was his brother James. And his brother James got saved. He believed. And we now see James start to raise up in the ranks and becoming a leader in the early Christian church. And I'll say it again. If somebody's brother thinks you are the Messiah, that's a pretty good reason to start listening. That, that's, a, that's a pretty good confirmation that something is happening. Now, James became the pastor in the church in Jerusalem. This was a big church that he got to lead. This is where Jesus died. This is a really big deal. Now, there's one more important note and one of my favorite things that, that I just had never recognized before, and it, it is in um, Acts chapter 15, and this is where um, they called it the Jerusalem Council. And here we have the disciples who are still alive. We have uh, Paul. We have Barnabas. They're all called together for this council. And this council was to decide if the new believers who were Gentiles and outside of the Jewish faith did they have to be circumcised? And it made sense that they would have to be because Moses, one of the greatest prophets, said, God said this is a commandment, this is a covenant between Israel and God, this needs to happen. But they met and they said, well, hold on a second. Is that covenant, is it mandated for these new believers? This is a really important question. And they all began to show and share their testimonies of how God was saving the Gentiles, even without circumcision, that the Holy Spirit was coming on them, that Christ was moving among them, that they were being filled with the Spirit of God, and they were not circumcised. All of these conversations, they were happening, and then James spoke up, and he made the decision. James's voice went above all of the rest of the voices, and he is the one that made it. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And circumcision was a difficult challenge. And I think in, in modern-day church and where we are right now, we need to keep this attitude. Are we making it difficult for people coming to Christ? Are we making it difficult for people to come in the doors? If so, we may need to reevaluate some things because we should make it easy for people to be able to turn to God. And then as people begin to turn to God, 
God will begin to work out the rest. But we need to get them there. And we should not be the barriers. We should not be the barriers. The gospel of Jesus Christ should always be the barrier. That should be the dividing mark. The reason, the reason he wrote this book is found in the first two verses of James. It tells us that the 12 tribes were dispersed. And, and we find out in Acts eleven nineteen that there was, after Stephen had been stoned and, and Paul was even there for that, that persecution began to come and the Christians were dispersed. They were all over the place. So what do you do when you're the pastor of a church and everybody's gone? They're all over the place. Well, the technology of that day, they were letters. Today, well, what do we do? Well, we make videos. We write blogs. We send emails. We communicate. And what, what James was doing is he was pastoring his church that had to go and move so they could stay alive, so their families could stay alive. So James sat down and said, okay, I am going to pastor from afar. I am going to write this letter, this five chapters. He didn't write it in chapters. He wrote it as a letter, but it's helpful for us today. But I'm going to write this letter to help guide the church. And guess what? James, with the power of the Holy Spirit as he wrote that, is still pastoring us today. Okay, so I'm not coming to you saying, okay, Dale has proclaimed these things that you now need to do. No, we are listening to a man that is talking and pastoring a church that is being persecuted. They are on the run. And we are saying, you know what, these things are challenging. We are in challenging times. But let me tell you, their times were a lot more challenging than we have today. If I'm making jokes about how you put toilet paper on at home, listen, things are pretty darn good. Some of you are like, no, this is a serious issue. <laughs> James was referred to as James the Just, not in Scripture, but in just historical value. Josephus writes about this. Even among the Jews and the, and the Christians, James the Just, he, he was said to have knees like camels because he was on his knees praying so much that his physical nature was actually changed. This is, this is a pastor that I believe today that was listening to the voice of God. He was discipling his church, and he is discipling our church today. I don't know about you, but I'm accepting it. I'm accepting his discipleship. Week one, joy and trials. This is chapter one. He's not talking about an election that didn't go the way that you wanted to go. He's saying, hey, some of you, can't even be in your home. Some of you lost your job. Some of you are on the run right now. And I'm telling you that even then, you should count it all joy that you can have trials and still be serving Christ and having your eyes upon him. That is easier said. That is easier said. Number two. I know our church probably doesn't need to hear this, but be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Right? That's probably just for me. Amen. Some of you, amen. That's hard. He's pastoring his church. Listen, listen, friends. We need to be quick to listen. Don't start being a know-it-all on every corner. Don't act like you know everything. Listen first. Some of you are getting so angry. Don't 
get so angry so quickly. Listen to the voice of God. Be patient. Easier said, isn't it? I know as a parent, and I mean, my, my wife and I, we had kids super young, and I can tell you that my patience was not on point when it should have been a lot more. And I worked on it, and I worked on it, and guess what, today, I can tell you, I still work on it. <laughs> so once again, here we are. We are in the book of James, chapter two. We're gonna cover all of chapter two today, and uh, don't be afraid but again, I've got two things that are easier said, and so let's listen and let's be pastored by a pastor who is doing his best to speak to the early church. Amen? Amen. If you want to put up the first part there, if you have uh, the book of James at all. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Oh man, can you tell where we're going here? Oh yeah, you guys are enjoying this. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who whom you belong, if you really keep the royal law, so keep in mind this royal law here for a few minutes, found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Just think of that. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. And are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the, the law, whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is what Billy Graham is famous for saying. If you've broken just one, you are guilty of breaking all of it. Every single crusade he said that. If you are guilty of breaking just one. Verse 11. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And the last verse in this section here, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The royal law so verse 8 says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
So now let's go back to this royal law. Where did this royal law come from? In Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then go down to verse 34 in Leviticus. It says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Let's bring this back to James. Their people are being persecuted. Their people are being moved all over the place. And he is reminding them that they too were foreigners. And now some of them may be becoming foreigners because of the persecution going on. Again, this is the royal law. To treat your neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself. Then we go into the New Testament, and this royal law continues, except it's from Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 39. And the second is like this, because the first is to love God with all your, your heart, right? And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And then can you go to the one that's Mark, please? Mark 12, 31, it's the same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, there is no commandment greater than these. Some of us know it as the golden rule. Favoritism is totally connected with the royal law. Why? Well, that goes back to the very beginning in Genesis Right? When we see that man is created in the image of God. There is no lesser. There is no greater. We are all created in the image of our maker. Therefore, we are to treat one another as we want to be treated ourselves. This is one of those things that at times is easier said. It is much easier for us to be comfortable in the treat people that we know and that make us comfortable. It's what we know. It's who we know. I, I've known a few people in my life that their attitudes are, if I don't know you, I don't like you. And some of you might be that way. Just, if I don't know you, I don't like you. I don't care what race you are. I don't like you unless I know you. And I, I think that sometimes we have that attitude when it comes to people that we're not familiar with because we just don't understand. We don't get it. But according to Scripture and according to James, the way that we treat people, the way that we look at people, the way that we love people must be consistent. And the moment, in, especially in a church gathering, that we start sharing and or we start showing preference we are in deep trouble and it goes as far as saying favoritism is sin it's sin and if we've broken one we've broken them all which is exactly why we all need jesus you need jesus and you need jesus and i need jesus easier said right Favoritism. The next one 
is the second half of this scripture. Could you please go to, I think you had it on 13 and 14, that verse. Now, this seems a, a little bit, this is going to be a little bit more challenging because we see some conflicting arguments here. And so we're going to look at the conflicting arguments and see why it's been a problem between what the Apostle Paul wrote with faith and deeds and what James wrote about show me your deeds and I see your faith. If you have faith, I'll be able to see your deeds. Okay? So let's take a look. We're going to start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Great. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, it does get a little bit complicated here, but just stick with me because I think this is really important, and I believe that for some here, this may really let you off the hook a little bit because sometimes the ways that we were raised, we carry a burden of somehow thinking that what we do will save us. And just being Americans, we work, we get paid. We do something, we get something in return, okay? And just by nature of our society, that gets ingrained into us. And it can be very dangerous when it comes to our faith in Christ, okay? So just follow me here, and I really pray that this is going to help somebody today. So Ephesians chapter 2 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, is this a contradiction? We're going to get there. See again? Not by works. Not by deeds. This is nothing that you can boast in. Verse, uh, Galatians 2.16, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one 
will be justified. This concept is what rescued Martin Luther. This is how he wrestled. This is how he fought because he just could not get the evil thoughts and the fleshly nature out of his head and he did everything, even harming his own body to be able to be in line with Christ. And no matter what he did, he still saw his failings until he read this scripture that says that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, if you are carrying this burden, I pray that it is released today from you. That your faith is alone in Christ Jesus. Alone in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Where then is boasting if you can't boast in your own righteousness? It is excluded because of the law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified by faith, just as if you had not sinned. Justification. When a person makes that decision and says, you know what, I have lived for myself, I've lived for the world, today is the day that I am going to receive Christ. And in that moment, there's no special prayer. It's not in the Bible saying this is how you pray, but you make a confession of your faith in Christ. You make a confession of what he did for you. And you begin to take the journey of discipleship and the journey of following Christ. And it is in those moments that you are sinned. You are not working off your sins. It is not a scale. There is no scale. Christ's death, boom. Well, I did all this. Christ's death wins every single time. His crucifixion on the cross wins It wins. It outweighs what you've done. Every single time, you are justified before him. Then what? What do we do? Pastor, this looks like that that there is this question. So can you put up the one that says, faith and deeds equals yes. Faith and works, yes. Yes. It's a consequence of faith. Deeds are works. They begin to come out of us. Some of you don't even realize you're doing it. When you are faithful in your giving and you're helping people that you don't even know, guess what? That's works. It's coming out of you. It's coming out of the abundance of your heart. James, Pastor James gives the example of, well, Somebody needs a shirt, and you just say, well, be warm and well, I'll see you later. God bless you. And you say, good grief, he needs a shirt. We need to find a shirt for him. Bam, 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 bam. Hey, Mary Beth, can you get the care ministry team? We got some people that need some things. All of a sudden, things are pouring into our foyer. What is that? Faith being put into action. 
James is saying, listen, you cannot be a Christian and not have something come out of you. You can't. It's impossible. It's got to start coming out of you. Some of you are, you take time out of your day. Some of you take hours out of your day and you intercede for people. Guess what? Those are works. Those are deeds putting faith into action. Some of you don't even realize you're doing works and deeds. You're just being faithful to Christ. And some of you might just be a little stingy right now. Some of you may need your faith awoken in you and say, you know, I've become really selfish and self-centered. I need to start doing something. I need to start blessing people. I need to start encouraging people. I know people that are discouraged. I need to reach out to them. Deeds, works, come naturally out of us when we are following Christ. He is pastoring all of us today. Just as he was directing the early church then, he is directing us today. And I pray that you're listening to his voice. Are you following the royal law that is consistent through the Old Testament and the New Testament of loving your neighbor? Are you doing that? Because I know sometimes it is easier said. Is your faith misaligned? Have you gotten off course by believing the lie that somehow what you are doing is saving you? That, that happened to me. That's part of my journey. It's part of my story. It's about part of my testimony. It's, it's just like yesterday. I was driving from Hutchinson and I was taking these back roads to Kokato where I was working in this group home and I was taking this corner and it was just like a ton of bricks that hit me. Taking this corner and it was like the Lord put a reel, a movie reel in front of me and I was even praying and conviction came like I have seldom experienced it in my life. There I was driving to work and this reel starts showing me that I began to think that because I was a good Christian, because I was doing things right, because now I wasn't swearing anymore, I wasn't doing this anymore, I wasn't doing that anymore, I was pumping my chest out like I had achieved righteousness. And I began to weep like a baby in my car. On my way to work, a total mess. Not because of shame, but because I somehow began to put my faith in my own actions. Jesus Christ died so I may live. Jesus Christ died so you may live and be an heir, and be a son, and be a daughter of the Most High God. Not so you could boast in yourself. Here I was, proud, and absolutely disgusting. And you know what I'm grateful for? I'm grateful for a God who loves me enough to show me. He loves me enough to show me and say, Dale, the direction you're going is a direction that I don't want to see from my son. 
And I had to start making some changes. I had to start making changes in my life, and my attitude was wrong because I began to believe somehow that deeds, even though I never would have said it, my actions and my heart started to believe that my actions and the way that I behaved was somehow saving me. And I was wrong. You know, sometimes just with friends that I text, especially during football season, when the Vikings are tanking and doing terribly, we make jokes and we send, you know, we send gifts and memes to each other saying, you know, something like, put me in, coach. Right? Put me in, I'm ready. I'm out of shape, 250 pounds. I'm ready, coach. I can do anything. I'm limping a little bit. I'm sore. I can do it. Put me in, coach. Right, Blake? Put me in, coach. <laughs> can you imagine a church where we had that mentality, but for real? Where we're like, okay, coach, put me in. Okay, God, I'm ready. Put me in. Hey, Pastor, what do you mean by that? You're having a conversation with somebody, and they're like, man, I, I am really sick. And you go, let's pray, let's pray right now. Can I pray for you? I'll pray for you when I get home too, but can we pray right now? Guess what? Play made. You just made a play. You're having anxiety? I am so sorry about that. Hey, when you start getting really anxious, can you send me a text message? Can you give me a call? And, and by the way, can I pray for you right now? I want to be here for you, not only just by praying. I, I want to be here for you. Send me a text if you're really anxious. I, I want to know. What, what did you just do? You just made a play. Put me in, coach. Church, can we have this attitude? Put me in, coach. You have been discipled. You have been prepared for this. Do not just take it for yourself. Begin to share your life. Begin to offer up what you have inside of you. Now, some of you might be, well, I, that's not me. I might get super nervous. I might fail. Yep, you're exactly right. It might be hilarious. And then you can just joke about it. Sorry, that kind of came out kind of messy. Let me rephrase that. But you know what? Even though this maybe didn't make a lot of sense, just know I love you and I want to be able to help you. Can I just pray for you real quick? Make a play. A church that goes for it is a church that makes a difference. A church that goes for it is a church that makes a difference. Church, I want to encourage you to make a play. You have connections with neighbors that nobody else here does. You have connections with your own family that nobody here does. You have relationships with people for decades that nobody else here does. And I want to hear stories about you making a play. I want to hear stories about you speaking up and offering to pray for somebody that you've never done that before in your life. Even if it's a, I'll pray for you. <clears throat> Start somewhere, make a play. I'll pray for you. <clears throat> what was that? Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll pray. <laughs> what, what? I don't care. Make a play. Put me in, coach. You know, 
when you start reading the scripture, and I, I love our, our Bible studies on, on Wednesday nights. We, we meet here at, at 6.30, and we've been doing um, the prison epistles, and we've just got through the book of Ephesians. And Paul, at the end of, of um, I believe it's chapter 5, begins to give descriptions on how we should pray. This is how you should pray. And then he goes, pray for me for boldness. We see that prayer for boldness throughout Scripture. And, and as your pastor, I, I began to get convicted. And I'm like, I'm not praying for boldness for myself and for my church. And, and Paul says, pray for me so I can be bold and I can explain the gospel in clarity to people. Church, will you pray for boldness for me? Because guess what? I'm not asking you for permission because I'm going to start praying for boldness for you so you can make a play. Because God will begin, I believe, opening up doors and avenues in people. Okay? I'm excited. Two things, easier said, right? How we treat one another. And secondly, our faith in deeds is a yes. Our faith in deeds is a yes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us enough to correct us. And Lord, we thank you that we are not depending on our own hands, that we are not de depending on our own deeds, Lord, that we have already the one that we depend on, and it's what you've done for us, and we thank you for that. In your holy name we pray, the church said, Amen and amen. Um, for those that are online, thank you so much for joining us. God bless you, and we will be praying for you this week. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.